Happy New Year from me. It's lovely to be back among you. I've had a good time away, but it's so much nicer to be back home. Some words from the prophet Isaiah. And I, because of their actions and their imaginations, am about to come and gather all nations and tongues, and they will come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survived to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans and Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations, and they will bring all your people from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord, on horses, in chariots and wagons, and on mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offerings to the temple of the Lord in ceremonially clean vessels, and I will select some of them also to be priests and Levites, says the Lord. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make, I, I will make, will endure before me, declares the Lord. So will your name and your descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all people will come and bow down before me. And now let's come to God in prayer. We pray together. Eternal God, creator of all, your love embraces everyone and everything you have made. Your power sustains the cosmos and everything within it. Your light shines in the darkest and saddest places, bringing new hope and new courage. Your gentle touch soothes our hearts, relieves anxieties, and restores our well-being. On this Epiphany Sunday, we thank you that in all countries there are people who witness to your gospel, bearing testimony through their words and actions to the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the worldwide church and for your spirit's equipping of your people to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in their words and in their deeds. We thank you for Christian partnership across the continents and across national boundaries. We thank you for those who've responded to your call to serve the church in a land that is not their own. Remembering today especially the works of BMS, United Mission to Nepal, and the Leprosy Mission. We ask that we may each be worthy to be counted part of this great company of saints, ready to witness and serve where we are. In the name of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. And our Old Testament reading comes from the prophet Isaiah at chapter 60 and the first 10 verses, the future of Jerusalem. Arise, Jerusalem, and shine like the sun. The glory of the Lord is shining on you. 
Other nations will be covered by darkness, but on you the light of the Lord will shine. The brightness of his presence will be with you. Nations will be drawn to your light, and kings to the dawning of your new day. Look around you and see what is happening. Your people are gathering to come home. Your sons will come from far away. Your daughters will be carried like children. You will see this and be filled with joy. You will tremble with excitement. The wealth of the nations will be brought to you. From across the sea their riches will come. Great caravans of camels will come. From Midian and Ephah they will come from Sheba, bringing gold and incense. People will tell the good news of what the Lord has done. All the sheep of Kedar and Nabaloth will be brought to you as sacrifices and offered on the altar to please the Lord. The Lord will make his temple more glorious than ever. What are these ships that skim along like clouds, like doves returning home? They are ships coming from distant lands, bringing God's people home. They bring with them silver and gold to honor the name of the Lord, the holy God of Israel, who has made all nations honor his people. The Lord says to Jerusalem, Foreigners will rebuild your walls, and their kings will serve you. In my anger I punished you, but now I will show you my favor and mercy. And now we turn to our gospel reading at Matthew chapter 2 and the first 12 verses. Visitors from the east. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the time when Herod was king. Soon afterwards, some men who had studied the stars came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the baby born to be king of the Jews? We saw his star when it came up in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard about this, he was very upset, and so was everyone else in Jerusalem. He called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law and asked them, Where will the Messiah be born? In the town of Bethlehem in Judea, they answered. For this is what the prophet wrote. Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means the least of the leading cities of Judah. For from you will come a leader who will guide my people, Israel. So Herod called the visitors from the east to a secret meeting and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem with these instructions. Go and make a careful search for the child. And when you find him, let me know so that I too may go and worship him. And so they left, and on their way they saw the same star they had seen in the east. When they saw it, how happy they were, what joy was theirs. It went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. They went into the house, and when they saw the child with his mother Mary, they knelt down and worshipped him. They brought out their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and presented them to him. 
Then they returned to their own country by another road, since God had warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. Amen. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that the word epiphany has become very fashionable in recent times. In fact, sometimes on these talent programs, they will say that somebody's had a bit of an epiphany. Well, you can't actually have a bit of an epiphany. You either have one or you don't. The word is used very often to describe one of those moments when something suddenly clicks into place in a person's understanding. A kind of a eureka moment in which the final piece of a puzzle slots into place and now the person gets whatever it is that they didn't get before. And whilst that, I guess, is a justifiable use of the word, it's a very long way from its use in the Christian calendar and its association with the visit of the Magi to the child Jesus, as recorded in Matthew's Gospel. And even here, I think the word has become a little bit distorted, referring to a specific day in the year and to a particular story in the Bible, rather than to the significance of what happened. The word epiphany literally means shining upon, with the intention of a surprising manifestation or, in the fullest sense of the word, enlightenment. The epiphany story, then, must be rich and multi-layered. The physical encounter of the foreign magi with the Christ child, their own enlightenment, and something theologically significant that transcends the particularity of the story. I think I've been eating a dictionary this week. This story somehow shines light on our own understanding if we allow ourselves to be drawn into the wonder and mystery, to experience our own epiphanies, moments of enlightenment, or at least to entertain the possibility of new ideas for what it means for us to be followers of Jesus Christ. Of the four Gospels, Matthew is the only one who tells us this strange, bewildering, and ultimately violent story, interspersed as it is with references to Hebrew scriptures and hinting at one of the themes the Gospel explores, a fulfillment motif in which Jesus is seen as the new Moses. Commentators note that the second chapter of the gospel is, at one level, completely redundant. If you took out this story, you would still have a coherent gospel. It would still all make sense. Indeed, actually, you could take off chapter 1, chapter 2, write a few introductory words and start at chapter 3, which is, to all intents and purposes, what Mark does. Mark doesn't have any birth story. So the inclusion of the genealogy and birth story in chapter 1 
And the visit of the Magi and Herod's infanticide in chapter 2 must be recorded for a purpose. But what? If no further reference is made to them, and it isn't, why include them in the first place? I think there's a danger that we're so familiar with the story, especially the way it's told in nativity plays and carol services, that its impact has been completely lost. Never mind the shock value it would have had to the early hearers or readers. The Magi have transitioned from being wise men from afar into three kings. Camels have been introduced, perhaps a hint of the Isaiah readings that we've heard this morning, and it all becomes rather nice and tame for a multicultural 21st century audience. We actually have to work quite hard if God is going to shine new light on our understandings if our own search for meaning is to take us onwards. The story starts with a very simple statement. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. These words are so familiar to us, but they would have been absolutely incredible to those who first heard them. Learned men, and they would have been men, I suspect, of another culture and another religion came to Jerusalem. Men who studied the stars. Not astronomers as we understand it today, but astrologers. People who looked at the stars and found significance and meaning in the movement. Who detected portents and omens in the sky. These men do seem to have some knowledge of Judaism, but they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. And in fact, they were probably, to use a word we would be more likely to use nowadays, pagans. These men may have come from Persia, or quite possibly from Babylon, places known for religions that at the time would have been judged false, and especially all the symbolism that goes with the name of Babylon. And yet something drew them towards the child of Bethlehem. And that ought to shock us, especially if we have a strongly exclusive view of Christianity, because it suggests that God can speak to and through people of other religions and worldviews and draw them towards the light of the world that is Christ. Is it possible that God could speak to people of other faiths or no faith and inspire them to seek Jesus? wonder what your instinctive reaction is. Christians can be broadly divided into three groups in answering such a question. Firstly, there is the exclusivist position, saying that the only true faith is Christianity and that every other world religion and world view, including Judaism, is at best flawed and possibly false. Then there is an inclusivist position, which recognises common features that transcend religious labels. And whilst holding on to the fact that Christ is the truth, says there may be hints of truth in other world views 
and other faiths. They may be incomplete, but they have value. And then lastly, there is a pluralist view, which says that all faiths have equal value, and they are just different, culturally conditioned expressions of the same ultimate truth. Now, I expect, as I look around, there will be people here today who take all three of those positions. But whatever your view is on different religions and worldviews, the question remains, why did the Magi come to the Christ? Why did men of a non-Jewish worldview leave home and undertake a perilous journey to seek a new king? So they set off, and sometime later, they got to Jerusalem, the obvious place to find a new king amongst the Jewish people. But however good their research had been, they didn't find their destination straight away, nor did they go straight to Herod's palace. In fact, it sounds, from what Matthew says, as if they asked an awful lot of people where they could find this king, because the whole of Jerusalem was troubled so it says. There's a sense that the quest was far from straightforward. They searched diligently and unsuccessfully rather than simply following a nice big star all the way to a stable. It was only after Herod had discovered what they were about and then consulted with the religious leaders that it became clear where the journey might be headed. And the Magi set off again on their journey towards Bethlehem. You see, the Nativity play, much as I love it, and it has an important place in my own faith story, with the star on a stick, or as we had this year absolutely wonderfully, a star balloon, and three young kings clad in crowns and curtains, it misleads us. It makes us think that it was easy for the wise men to find Jesus. We skip past that confusion in Jerusalem when, despite the fact that seemingly the star was still in the sky, they got sidetracked into looking for Jesus in the wrong place. Their knowledge let them down. Their certainty was flawed. Their confidence in the astral movements, it seems, is shaken, at least for a while. And all that makes me wonder about the blind alleys and wrong turns that seekers after Jesus in our own time make. Because we are too sure that our prior knowledge or our intelligent reasoning will lead us and them to him. We stop noticing the hints and glimpses that might lead us to find him in unexpected places and maybe even that bright star that we spot as we look back along the way. I do wonder, how might our own old understandings be sidetracking us, leading us into dead ends, rather than onwards to a fresh encounter with Christ? But it isn't just the Magi in the story. We have Herod and we have the religious leaders. What about them? Because they've actually taken some time to do the research 
They've deduced that the child is going to be found in Bethlehem, and yet not one of them, as far as we can tell, joins the Magi in going to find him. Now, I can understand why Herod would be a bit disturbed, in fact, a lot disturbed, that there is a pretender to his throne. And far from going to see for himself, he tells the Magi to go off and find where he is and come back and tell him. We know, with hindsight and having the story many, heard the story many times, he has a cruel and vengeful plot in mind to make sure this child never grows up. But what about the religious people? It seems as if the chief priests and scribes take no more interest in what is happening. They just go back to their old rituals and their old routines. So does that mean that despite sending the Magi off to Bethlehem, they didn't believe this was the child? Does this mean that they had got so complacent that they no longer wanted new insights and new understandings? And I find myself wondering, were any of them still around 30 years later when Jesus began his ministry? Were there any of those religious leaders who eventually had their own epiphany moment when the pieces fell into place and he understood what he had encountered all that time ago? But what about us? What do we do with this story, with its mysterious foreign visitors and its vengeful king, its knowledgeable but seemingly incurious religious authorities? Do we spend a lot of energy trying to verify or refute its authenticity? Do we busy ourselves making a single coherent whole out of Matthew and Luke's stories? Or do we instead allow it to draw us to new understandings and new insights? Do we, like Herod, opt to stay in the palace, enjoying a comfortable lifestyle, and yet constantly being worried that somebody or something will usurp our power, our status, and our wealth? Do we go back to the temple with the religious authorities, carefully observing every ritual requirement, every doctrinal nicety, fearful that somehow we might get corrupted if we engage with that which is other? Or do we take the risk of following the Magi, journeying on to a small town, to a house where a mother and her child may be found? Because finally, after a long search, the Magi found the object of their quest. A very ordinary-looking child in a very ordinary house being cared for by a very ordinary mother. And I guess it must have been a pretty strange moment for all of them. Mary, opening her door to elderly men who were quite plainly not Jews, who perhaps had with them a retinue of servants, and maybe they had camels, 
And they said they'd come to see a child king. And Jesus, a little boy perhaps of two years of age, certainly no more than that, perhaps toddling about on his chubby little legs, perhaps playing with wood shavings in a corner, perhaps being fed by his mother. Was he wide-eyed and curious to see these people? Or did he cower behind his mother, clinging to her skirts, fearful of these strangers? But in that moment, in that strange encounter, something clicked into place. Old, educated, wise, pagan men knelt on the ground and worshipped a little Jewish boy, glimpsing in him the glory of God. And so it happened. The event we call Epiphany, the revelation of Christ to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the foreigners, to the pagans, to those who were not yet called the people of God, and who yet, in fulfilment of the Isaiah prophecy, would one day be drawn in. And then, the Magi simply leave, never to be heard of again. As far as the Gospel writer is concerned, their purpose is fulfilled. And he moves on, after telling us about Herod's atrocity, to begin his account of Christ's ministry. Do you ever wonder what happened next in their lives? What form did their epiphany take? Having encountered Jesus, having been dazzled by the light of the world, having been illuminated by the light for the nations, what did they do next? Did they just go back to what they were doing before? Or did they keep on searching and growing in wisdom and understanding? And what about us? Where do we go from here? Do we simply carry on as before? Or have we glimpsed something new of God's glory? Has some new insight come to us? Has the penny dropped? Have we said, aha, or eureka, as something new came to our understanding? And what will we do to play our part in sharing the good news, drawing other people into an encounter with Christ? As we reach the end of the Christmas season, as we blow out the candles, put away the nativity set, and move on. Do we leave it all behind and forget about it for another 11 and three quarter months? Or do we journey onwards, following the star, always seeking fresh epiphanies, fresh insights, fresh encounters with Christ? The wise ones came from the east seeking. And we hear again these words, seek 
and you will find. Uh, We're all companions on a spiritual journey, and as we travel, we seek together. And let us listen for God. Let us pray. God of light, in this week when we celebrate the showing of the Christ child to the whole world, in all places, in all times, in all cultures, and amongst all peoples, we dare to pray again with hope in our hearts. You have revealed to us that you are not distant from the life of the world and of all creation and that you know it intimately from within. And so it is for this world that we now pray. And we pray first of all for those who may be in our common thoughts this morning. In Nigeria, particularly in Adamawa State, We know of the death and destruction caused by violence against those of another faith. And we remember especially the Nigerian sisters and brothers who are part of our extended family here at Hillhead. May the light of Christ shine in the darkness. In Somalia, Egypt, Tunisia, Libya, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, and in Israel-Palestine, some of these lands associated with the journey of the Magi. We know of the differing stages of upheaval, and of strife in each one of these territories and countries. But we also know of the efforts of people of goodwill to forge common purpose and reconciliation. May the light of Christ shine in the darkness. in Wayhoke Methodist Church in Bloemfontein, South Africa, where this very weekend people are gathering to mark the 100th anniversary of the lighting of a light against racial discrimination and injustice in that country. May the light of Christ shine in the darkness. and here on our own doorsteps in Glasgow. For those surviving another day in poverty, in disadvantage, in the uncertainty of asylum seeking, in the fear of what a new year will bring, may the light of Christ shine in the darkness.
for those who seek but cannot yet discern a light in their own darkness. For them, may the light of Christ become real. And although we pray for the wider world, we also turn to pray for those closest to us, whose needs are perhaps known only to us, our families and friends, those around us in this sanctuary this morning, especially for those for whom your gift and our gift of light and love is needed at this time. We name them in the silence of our hearts now. May the light of Christ shine in the darkness. And we also pray for ourselves, for even as we pray for others, we know that we are called to be your friends in the task of answering these prayers. Give to us all what we need in insight, commitment, in unselfishness, and in faithfulness to be part of bringing your light into darkness. Jesus, word made flesh, whose company we seek and whose pattern we seek to follow, be born in us again, here, this day, Holy God, who in Christ came and lived among us to bring light to our hearts and light to the world, send us out from here to continue our journey of seeking and serving and gaining new understanding and helping on others on their journey towards the light of the world who is Christ. So may your love surround us and your hope fulfil us this day and every day. Thank you.